for great-looking T-shirts, hoodies, and sweatshirts. The TNT Shop is now open at TNTradio.live. This is The Chris Smith Show on today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Hey, good to have your company. This is Chris Smith. I'll catch up with Prue McSween, uh, the irrepressible Prue McSween, very shortly. She's got a lot to say today about a lot of news that's been hitting headlines. And one of the news uh, items that has broken in Australia, and this is probably more particular uh, interest to Queenslanders, um, an emotional police commissioner, Katerina Carroll, has confirmed she is standing down as the commissioner. She did that today. Miss Carroll made the announcement just before midday, which came just after hours after she revealed she may not continue. Um when her contract ends as of July, Ms. Carroll confirmed her last day with the police service will be on March the 1st. So that's interesting. Why would you wait? Or why would you do something like that on March the 1st if you were not pushed? Read between the lines, folks. If your contract's ending in July, why wouldn't you just wait the four months required? It's not long. Like, what is that, 16 weeks? but she wants to pull out now, two weeks' time. This morning I have advised the Minister I will not seek an extension to my contract. I will finish my role on March the 1st. The Queensland Police is an outstanding organisation. The truth is it has been the most incredible, rewarding journey. I would not have predicted that a young woman from far north Queensland would make her way through the ranks to be appointed Commissioner of Police. For that, the Commissioner should be applauded. She said she had planned to announce her resignation in about two weeks following candid discussions with her husband and children, Uh, but because of the heightened speculation commentary, I brought these discussions forward. So she was under a great deal of pressure uh, for various uh, crime-related issues in Queensland. Now, just to give you some background, crime is the number one issue, especially rural crime in Queensland leading up to the state election this year, and it is out of control. And nothing the police commissioner has tried has worked. So she was under enormous pressure. It's been front page headlines in the Courier Mail, the main newspaper in Queensland, day after day after day for months. You could probably say years. And uh, it's a situation that she was under a great deal of pressure about. Just very quickly, getting back to the United States, the Biden administration is poised to dump controversial rules that would require Americans to buy more electric cars sooner. What happened in the United Kingdom? Boris said, come on, you've all got to get into electric cars by 2030. And then that was dropped by Rishi Sunak because the market won't sustain that kind of demand because there will be no demand to buy the more expensive cars because electric vehicles have a huge number of deficiencies for people who want to travel long distances, for instance, and there's a lack of infrastructure. So all of that garbage by Boris Johnson was just green evangelism to make him look good and to gather the green vote. Well, the same thing has happened in the United States. We know what the situation is. The supply of electric vehicles right now far exceeds the demand In the US, the market is going through the floor. And so in a nod to their declining popularity and increasing cost, uh, they've decided to change the approach. This is a story um, put together by Adam Crichton from The Australian. In a move that will infuriate environmentalists, the US Environment Protection Agency is reportedly going to dump proposed rules 
which would have ensured about two-thirds of sales of new cars and light trucks in the US were fully electric by 2032, up from almost 8% last year. Not going to happen. Can't happen. They do not liaise with the market. They do not liaise with the manufacturers enough. They think they know everything because evangelism is never under scrutiny. Ask any religious evangelist. They don't scrutinise what Jesus Christ is all about. And the same thing happens with the religion of climate change or global boiling. You don't scrutinise it. You just go with it because anyone who criticises it or puts it under the uh, spotlight is seen as some kind of heretic. And the same thing happens when it comes to politicians making rules about electric vehicles. They don't work in practice. The evangelism sounds great at the press conference, but that's about it. More egg on the face of politicians who have fallen for the electric vehicle fanaticism. This is Chris Smith on TNT. Getting straight to the facts. Enough with the lies. We need facts. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right. She's the founder and uh, director of Verve Communications. We know her well. She's greatly sought after on the media circuit right around Australia. Prue McSween, welcome back to TNT. Hi, Smithy. I've got my lippy on for you, but you can't see. I've had a technical hitch. Oh, you've had a hitch, have you? Yeah, my my laptop's just got all these weird lines on it. I think I might have to wait and yell for Alex later. <laughs> Don't know what's going on anyway. <laughs> you not, might need Alex Zaharoff Roy to fix your uh, your lines and get you back on air. Listen, exactly. I want to tell you. I, I want to tell you. There's there's plenty around today to comment on, um, but I, I do want to raise firstly what has become such a signature mistake for the Labor Party over many decades which is Labor's border crisis. Whenever Labor gets in, and for those outside of Australia, you may not realise this, but when Labor gets in, they fall between uh, appeasing their left wing of their party, their soft uh, left wingers who want to allow every asylum seeker into the country as long as they can make it, um, and then they're trying to appease those who are, you know, workers, aspirational workers who, you know, think that they don't want to compete for jobs against people who shouldn't come into the country, et cetera, et cetera. And they want an orderly, an orderly system for people to be accepted into Australia. Well, it's happened again. It didn't take long. Um, and now we're talking about we've got Border Force saying statements in the last three days, Prue, which sound awfully political, like the head of Border Force virtually got stuck into the opposition for daring to criticise the government over border control. It's his job as opposition leader to do so, isn't it, Prue? Of course it is, Smithy. And the thing, the irony is that the boss of Border Force warned the government last year that the cyber surveillance was in dire straits. So, you know, which, you know, which tack does he want to take? I mean, the bloke's just got the politicians in his ear and he's you know, worrying about where his next paycheck's coming from. Yes. So he's going to say what he wants. But, you know, we have this situation now where we have porous borders and we have economic refugees. Let's be very clear about of this. Of course it is. These people are just wanting jobs. They've said it. They're going to take our jobs and uh, they're willing to work, of course, and they know that under Labor, they can just keep applying using our system, our dollars, our appeal system, and uh, Bob's your uncle. They'll be allowed out into the community 
And, you know, this is the stupidity and what really annoys Australians. And we have the situation now where we have our Indigenous communities who are becoming more vigilant when it comes to refugees and, and illegal boats arriving than we do of our border force. Uh, That's right. You know, I actually think that J&B Hi-Fi and Harvey Norman need to set up some outlets up, you know, up in the top of the Western, West Australia and Northern Territory because it was a a bloody J&B Hi-Fi drone that uh, got this Indigenous elder to... uh, be alerted that there were all these blokes, you know, wandering around. So <laughs> it's a great story, isn't it? Yeah, it's hilarious. So, they, but what is really annoying is that they actually, the indig- indigenous community up there, who's been watching these bods and whether it's illegal fishery, fishing boats or people yep. hopping off boats, they've actually pitched to the government that they'd like to operate drones to thwart these illegal fishers and, and people smugglers. And, of course, Perfect. the government said, get on your boat, buddy. You know, Albanese is quite happy to pontificate about, you know, jobs for the Indigenous communities and supporting them. When they actually said, this is a job we could do for you, he said, shoey on your boot, mate. Go and, you know, pull another one. It's so just incredibly this- hypocritical for him to refuse that offer when they are the ones who live in these remote communities. You can't get white patrol officers to live there and to patrol those borders. So there's your answer. He's desperate to try and get jobs and, and money into these communities. It's there right in front of him, but he doesn't want a bar of it. He's a shocking hypocrite and a sad case to be called a prime minister. Hundred percent, Smithy, and you have this ridiculous pl- ca- case of catch-up now, where Miles has been feeling the heat. He's, of course, our defence minister for people who are overseas. Uh, yeah, he's been under the gun because we've got like a dad's army of decaying fleet and and aircraft, etc. And so the bloke suddenly, in a, a panic, announced an eleven billion dollar boost for a warship fleet. And he reckons we're going to have that by 2026. Pull the other one. Go and get yourself a rubber ducky, mate. You don't, I mean, the both of us think we're absolute imbeciles. But, you know, we've got a situation where the Houthis have a better strike rate capability than our defence force. I mean, under Rudd and Gillard, for six years, they didn't spend a cent. It was indefensible that they didn't spend a cent on yep. defence, and now we have this situation where we're panic stations, so we're chucking money. And meanwhile, I mean, come on down, people smugglers, let them all come, pay your money. Uh, we're also letting, you know, who knows, uh, Hamp- knows Hampus sympathisers coming in across our borders, thanks to Penny Wong trying to win some more votes in uh, her Labor seat. Uh, you know, it's just a joke. This country is run by morons and we deserve everything we're going to get and I can't help feeling there's danger over the horizon because everyone must look at us and think well you know Australia's going to be such an easy shot we'll just bait it whenever we feel like it. Of course and I hope those Aboriginal communities who use their drones anyway and spot some of these illegal boats pulling up I hope they don't say a single thing to the government. They can stick the government where it doesn't fit. Now, Izali Stegel, the TL MP from Warringah, right when she wants to have a, a ban on grog and drugs in the parliament? Well, mate, look, 
I would find it hard to agree with anything that Sheila said. She's the biggest hypocrite in the world. Now, I don't know if she has a grog or a, a, you know, a sniff of something. Good luck to her if she does. I'm sure she doesn't. But the thing is, we do have, it seems, a problem, a cultural problem where people um, who have the ability to access a lot of grog, perhaps a lot of drugs, because we've seen in past, sort of exposés how particularly the staff in Parliament House are, are, are sort of dipping into that white powder quite readily. Uh, and it is a worry when, you know, we have politicians, the people who are responsible for administering this country and making very important decisions are getting on the turfs and, you know, having these episodes. At the same time, I hate nanny states. The yes. government has enough. Uh, dipping into our uh, into the how we work. And I've got to say, Prue, this has come off the back of um, Barnaby Joyce having a little bit of a bender and having medication mixed in with the grog, which is never it never works. And I, I, I know that for firsthand. But that's got nothing to do with what's going on in Parliament. So they're using Barnaby Joyce's case to talk about grog in the Parliament. I don't know of too many politicians. Uh, usually, the politicians that have too much grog end up falling asleep anyway. That's right, which is probably doing us all a good service, frankly. <laughs> but that, that national uh, deputy leader, Perrin Davy, was the one who also sort of got everybody up in a lather. And she has since said, and if you saw the video of her, she definitely was slurring her words. She's yeah. since come out and said that she had some medical issue, an abs abscess on her throat, and that scar tissue is making her slur her words. So that may be well, but... It's just, a, it is a huge worry, but how far would you extend it? You know, to doctors and hospitals, you know, if, if your anaesthetist had had a few drinks before he came and, you know, did something to you on the operating table. But I think we just have to all accept that we have personal discipline and responsibility and, you know, keep out of our lives, government. You know, we're just getting to the stage where... We have to ask if we can go to the toilet soon. You know, yes. it's enough rules. Come on, it's it's not a it's not a major issue. The only issue that it seems to seems to be are, are people who come back into the parliament after getting on the grog. Yeah, that's right. Well, we've seen in that in that there, celebrated case. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, uh, yeah, but no one can remember anything, can they? That, that's right. They can't. <laughs> I want to go to Glenn the Truckie, who's on the line. Go ahead, Glenn. Hi, Chris. Hey, Proof. Hi, I was really there you go. I was really disturbed to see the Labor government flying to us again. I don't know if you heard the story. Jeez oh. from Palestine, correct? Sorry, we just missed after you said I don't know whether you heard the story, we missed what you said after that. Start again. Okay. The Labor government told us that they brought in eight hundred and sixty refugees from Palestine, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, it's actually, that's a lie. Again, 2,000, under Senate estimates, it was revealed, 2,273 have come in. They're getting visas within 24 hours. Some are getting them within, within one hour. Now, the visas are applied for online. There's no checks and balances. How do we, not, how do we know we're not bringing in Hamas terrorists? Exactly. And well, the, there's a very thin line between the two, Glenn. Well, I've always said, how do you separate the orange from the orange juice, mate? You've got third generation uh, Palestinians that are indoctrinated to kill people from the West and kill Jews. 
and we're just opening up the doors and flooding them in. But once again, the Labor government has blatantly looked down the camera and lied to us. Penny Wong was on Channel 7, Channel 9, Channel 10, the ABC, re reassuring Australians that they were doing all the proper vetting and that there was 860 only. Well, there's now 2,273 and absolutely no vetting. And of course, well number spotted. of checks as well as security checks. And as we know that a lot of the Pakistani people in Gaza were either aiding and abetting Hamas or sympathisers. So that we, we don't know who we're importing here. 100% true. But once again, I'm fed up. To the, look, I'm just one of the great unwashed. I'm a nobody. But I'm fed up to the back teeth. And I'd really like somebody to explain to me how a free democratic society can run when you have no trust in your government whatsoever. This is about the sixth or seventh time that the Labor government has looked down the barrel and lied to us. Yeah, Good point, Glenn. Is, yeah. People vote for them, Glenn. You know, they've been either Labor, rock-solid Labor supporters, and they don't engage. You engage. A lot of people who uh, have the, the privilege of voting don't give us stuff about the policies. They just think, oh, the Labor's given me a bit more money in my pay packet. That'll do. They don't stop yes. and consider what's being yep. pr pronounced and proposed. Or they're giving us $275 cheaper electricity bills. We're still waiting on that. <laughs> yeah, Glenn, I've sorry. got to leave it there. I've got to get to an ad break, but thank you very much for your comments. It reminds me, Prue, when you're thinking about the numbers that are coming into Australia, those 39, they're from India, Bangladesh and Pakistan. Um, you talk about them being economic migrants. They have to be economic migrants. Um, and, and the worst thing is, because there, there are no wars going on in any of those no, three countries. exactly. Um, but the worst thing is, back at the consulate and embassies for Australia, in Pakistan, in India, in Bangladesh, people are lining up every day to do the right thing by the rules and try and enter legally. Yep, that's right, Smithy. But, you know, it's the quick and the dead and these... Shonks, and that's what they are, are being rewarded. That you know that they will end up here, and then they'll bring all their relatives, and Bob's your uncle. That's how it works. It's a great con. Mm. We've got to take a break. Stay right there, and we'll come back, and we've got to talk about the new sustainable diet being uh, pushed on Australians. All about forget about the science. It's just all about uh, global boiling. That's what it's about. We'll do all of that right after the break with Prue McSween on TNT. TNT's Kate Shamarani. Well, it might surprise you that in the last 10 years, there's been a 96% increase in revenue from oncology drugs to $103 billion in 2019. So it, it's incredible to think that the results are staggering, that over the past decade, the proportional revenues from the sale of cancer drugs has increased by nearly a hundred percent anyone would think that they knew wouldn't they what's coming and over the same time period from non-cancer drugs that decreased by 20 percent mm, all of these vaccine companies have now switched to oncology drugs as well kate shamarani on today's news talk tnt a better business tip from tnt radio News Talk Radio listeners are some of the most active and involved listeners of any format. TNT Radio listeners rely on TNT Radio often as their primary source of information. 
They trust TNT Radio and are highly engaged with the content. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. The conversation continues. I don't believe it, and I think that's a terrible position that I am in, that I don't trust my government. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Yeah, and if you want to be part of the conversation, just because Prue McSween is on air and she sort of fills the airwaves with her voice, that's okay. That's okay. You can be part of the conversation too. There's still plenty of airspace to give you. From the United States or Canada, you can call on 1-888-201-6425. From the UK, 0330-024-1026. And from Australia or New Zealand, 1-800-670-310. Well, I knew it was going to happen soon after COP28, uh, where, you know, most Western governments would be wheeling out the usual global boiling propaganda when it comes to diets. And forget about the scientific uh, bent on what we should be eating and the medical bent on what we should be eating. It's all about global boiling. It's all about, all about green ideology now when it comes to eating prue. Well, mate, all I can say is that if they keep wanting us to eat plants, we're going to have a hard time controlling our very own personal emissions. So I think they <laughs> need to really... <laughs> have a rethink of that. But, you know, you've got this Red Meat Advisory Council not mincing their words, and I'm sorry, I've got to just say that. Carrying on one. like a pork, yeah, and, of course, the rest of these morons are carrying on like pork chops. But really, in the end, our farmers, and while we can have a bit of a laugh about it, our farmers are under attack from all directions. Yep. And it's just quite appalling that we have this, these new compliance costs, uh, they've got a, a report uh, on, you know, their emissions, whether it be, you know, or otherwise they're going to get penalised. And this is the problem that, you know, they're going to have all sorts of issues where it's not just, you know, uh, farting cows or whatever, but it's the, the whole supply chain, you know, has the person who you bought this equipment from or this fertiliser from, have they done the right control uh, reporting and climate reporting on their emissions and co compliance? So we've got this huge burden on our primary producers as well as all the other corporations like the car makers, but companies generally are going to have to report all of this, which means all the costs of compliance are going to be passed on to us. You know, this mob are determined to kill us, I think. They're just killing this country. They're killing the world. And these sucker politicians who've got on this green, self-righteous bandwagon have just sold us out. You know, we're, thankfully, I absolutely believe that the public's waking up. You know, they, we were sort of battered into accepting the guilt that we were killing this world even though in Australia, as we know, we've hardly got any emissions contributing to this, to what's proposed is the problem. And, That's right. And yet, you know, we're in this situation where, thankfully, I think people are saying enough's enough because they're personally hurting. You know, they've seen the energy prices going up. They can hear this absolute bullshit artist, Bro uh, Bowen, our energy minister, who's saying that, you know, he's going to meet all these deadlines. 
there is absolutely no way he's going to meet the deadlines. And this is why he's put in these new rules on emissions for car makers, because he's knowing he's not going to meet his deadlines. So he's going to try and make up, you know, make up some ground with, you know, putting the ice on poor buggers. And it's interesting. It's the, it's the tradies, the people who would normally perhaps vote Labor, who are going to find themselves paying up to 25 grand more for, you know, their their trucks and things, you know. So and they're going to look at each other when they sit down yep. at their smoko and discuss that prue and say, this is bullshit. Absolutely. And that's why I think people are waking up. They can see that everywhere around the world, these nervous Nellies in the EU are actually even starting to understand that nuclear is the only way we're going to be able to reduce our emissions and yep. not turn us all into the dark ages. But, you know, here... This man, I mean, he's the most dangerous man. I think he should be thrown in the clink. He's dangerous. He's yeah. killing this country and killing, you know, our lifestyle and what we our values are. Very true. Just from the chat box on TNTradio.live, um, one of our viewers, Holly, has written, um, no compliance, who owns the food chain, owns the populations, no farmers, no food, simple, it's a case of depopulation. Well, I wouldn't put it past them. I want to, I want to ask you about this just very quickly before we get to some news. Um, superannuation babies. Um, there's a story today that indicated that one superannuation fund will allow people to take their money out without being taxed to make a baby through IVF but, of course, we know how difficult it is to use those nest eggs to buy things that many people find impossible to buy nowadays. And this is where it's so ridiculous. You have this idiot Chalmers, our tax uh, our, our, our treasurer, who's obsessed with using super just for retirement. Meanwhile, we have young couples who cannot buy a home. Wouldn't it be more sane to allow those people to dip into their superannuation so they can get ahead and buy a home so they're not paying dead rent money. They can exactly. start their families. I mean, it's just so appalling. Now, I know the argument about the fact that, you know, the protected compounding uh, returns are going to be impacted. But the point is, do you want to be rich and still in the living in a tent? You know, with your super, you know, your super's going to have a lot in it. What, is that for when you finally can retire and you're too old to enjoy it and you, you ha you're still renting, paying someone else's mortgage off? I mean, it's just so absurd. We have the coalition saying that they wanted super to be uh, allocated for first or accessible for first-home buyers. It makes sense. Um, you know, people are, are so desperate now and... I just can't understand why, if you want it, and also with women, there's a ticking time clock. So if you can't get pregnant, and one in six couples are experiencing difficulties in, in getting pregnant, so why wouldn't you allow them to access their super so they can do an IVF program? It just seems so ridiculous. They can access on for other, you know, compassionate medical procedures, and, you know, they have to go through a huge amount of hoops to get access for that but you know having a baby or getting your own home started for god's sake let's just allow them to do it and stop government trying to you know get their hands on our superannuation particularly the industry super funds who want to funnel the money the profits back into either their pockets because all the ex-labor premiers etc are on the boards 
or they just want to, uh, you know, funnel it into the unions themselves. So it's just ridiculous. We need to really have a big shake-up. And when Dutton gets in, I just hope he addresses all of this and gets Australia kick-started again. That's what we need yeah. to do. That is one way to kick-start them. That was what I was about to say. You kick-start someone earlier when, than they normally would get ahead, Prue, and all of a sudden they're making better incomes, they're saving exactly. more money, and they're able to put it in superannuation and, and, and fill the gap that was made because they took it out for the home. It can be done That's that easily. Right. And uh, look, it it's our bloody money. That's right. This is what annoys me. You know, we're now they're going to be taking 12% from us. Yeah, that's a lot of bloody moolah that we could be using. And it's just a joke. Yeah. The right way going, I mean, I'll be dead before I can access mine, I think. You know, I mean, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Don't talk like that, please. Don't talk no, like that. You'll never die. <laughs> no, it couldn't kill me with a stick, probably, mate. Although would, a lot would like to. <laughs> Yeah, correct. I love it. Thank you so much for being part of the program Thanks, today. Mickey. Enjoy the rest of Appreciate your week. Appreciate it. Thanks, Doug. You too. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Prue McSween from Verve Communications. There you go. And thank you, Holly, too, for being part of our discussion on this today, especially about um, food and sustainable diets and the crap that came out of COP28. Holly has uh, just woken up in the UK and she's written on the chat box that she's uh, getting set to go early to London for the Julian Assange hearing. There you go. It'll be one hell of an event and TNT will be there. So don't miss out on it. Let's go to the newsroom for an update on TNT. Hey, guys, great news. News Radio. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a quick look at your TNT headlines. Russia has accused Ukraine of using American-made chemical weapons against its soldiers on the battlefield and says it has the evidence to prove it. Australia's overhauling its navy, announcing the largest expansion to its warships since the Second World War. And the European Union has announced it's sending a fleet of its own warships to the Red Sea in an effort to protect cargo vessels from further attacks launched by the Houthis in Yemen. We're the pinup boys and poster girls for free speech. We just don't look as impressive as Vladimir Putin shirtless on a horse. Yeah. 24-7, 365, we never stop sifting fact from fiction, misinformation from the truth. From government overreach to the latest on mandates, big tech censorship to propaganda gone mad. Listen to TNT Radio and get the news and views direct from our expert presenters and commentators anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk, this is TNT Radio. And fantastic to have your company. Some good comments coming through on the chat box on TNTradio.live. Warwick has posted, how can 45,000 Australian citizens get locked out of Australia for three years during COVID-19 and now they let the refugees back in? Makes you wonder, doesn't it? You're a citizen, you're a resident, you can't come back in, you may have the virus. <laughs> when you think about it, Talk about overreaction. And now we let refugees in. We, we've we've got rid of $600 million out of the budget to surveil that part of the Western Australian coast. So it's stacks on the mill. If you're a people smuggler in Indonesia, you know what's going on. There just aren't the boats in the water to stop the leaky boats. That's the truth, the absolute truth. All right. The Israeli government 
has made some major announcements in the past 24 hours, including giving Hamas a deadline for releasing hostages and a plan to end its offensive in Gaza. We now know when they'll be pulling out of that part of the Middle East. Let's go to our former Australian Army Intelligence Officer, Shane Healy. Shane has worked in the Australian Army and as a private military contractor in the Middle East. He was deployed twice to Afghanistan and then when in Australia, he was part of the tactical assault group and involved in several real-time terrorist incidents. Twice to Afghanistan and then when in Australia, he was part of the tactical assault group and involved in several real-time terrorist incidents. He now works for both government and private firms in the area of threat assessment, often related to both suspects and those convicted of terror crimes, and we love having him here regularly, given the amount of conflict around the world right now. Welcome to TNT. Once again, Shane Healy. Good afternoon, Chris. How are you going? I'm very, very well. You got caught in a big rainstorm today, I noticed. You were posting on social media. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, I'm out at Putty doing a uh, veteran equine, some equine therapy, and it poured earlier. It was, uh, it was quick. Yeah. So much for global boiling this week in Sydney. Um, it's been up and down. Now, I want to talk about the Middle East. Israel's assault in Gaza, we hear, has killed more than 29,000 Palestinians since October 7. That's according to the Territory's Health Ministry on Monday, marking a grim milestone in one of the deadliest and most destructive military campaigns in recent history. Let me ask you a couple of questions about that. Do you believe the number 29,000? And secondly, is that an excessive number for the kind of urban warfare that's gone on? So the breakdown that I've got is 28,473 Palestinians, 1,410 Israelis and 88 journalists. So that's about accurate what they're reporting in the uh, in the media. Um, if you think about since 2015, there's been over 150,000 people fighters and civilians die in the Yemen civil war. Um, while this number is no one, it's never good when civilians die in com during because of conflict. Um, it It's not the highest number. And some of those uh, African countries have seen some real, you know, Somalia, Rwanda, um, some really high numbers. But hopefully the international community can come together and this can soon be over. And, and I just noticed too, when we got to about 23,000 dead, and the pressure started to build from, you know, not just the UN, but the United States and others about what was going on. There's been a real decline in the ratio of deaths. So that's got to be a good thing. Do you think it's got something to do with the pressure that came on Israel? Well, if you remember, the Israelis told all the Palestinians to go towards uh, Rafah and, and go south. So they were trying to clear the battle space. And this is the issue coming up now. Where the Israelis want to go is where all the civilians are. So while that is the case, we could see that number spike up if the Israelis go in heavy and, and go through this next offensive. That's right. So so just to explain that to people, we, we told all the Israelis told uh, those in Gaza to go to the south. And now they're telling yep. them to go to the north because they want to go into the south in Rafah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And a lot of these people now are injured and they're old and they're malnourished and they just don't have the energy or um, facilities to go north. So uh, I think that they're not going to go anywhere and that's going to be one of uh, the human population or the human terrain 
will be Israel's greatest problem in any coming offensive. Well, it could be another bloodbath. That's what it could be. Yeah. Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has vowed to continue the offensive until total victory against Hamas after the militant October 7 attack on Israeli communities. He and the military have said troops will soon move into Rafah, and he's indicated um, that there'll be a deadline for the Gaza ground offensive, and that will be when Ramadan begins. Why has that been set, and does that seem nonsensical to you, or is there a good reason for that? So Ramadan is obviously the holy month of in the Islamic calendar where they fast and come together. So if they did attack during that month, uh, you would have more of the Arab countries rise up because it's, it'd be the equivalent of um, them attacking a Christian country in Easter or Christmas. Right, it, it is the month that they, and they congregate and celebrate. They fast during the day, break their fast and festive at night. So that that's one of the things that's, Ramadan this year is a lot earlier. It's the 9th of March. So, you know, we're really, if that's the case, but I've been looking at some of the Israeli media because there's been some protest against Netanyahu. And it's interesting that some of his own or opposition co uh, co colleagues are coming out and saying the, the total victory is just a political slogan. It's not a realistic goal. So we, we've been talking for a number of weeks that Netanyahu's using this uh, crisis to to keep in power, and it's seen that some of the opposition are also agreeing with that, which is why he's put that date in. You know, there's some of the uh, Palestinians and Arab countries are saying if he did attack during Ramadan, it could be a third into and an escalation of of Middle Eastern war. So, so, does he stop when Ramadan starts and not resume, or do do they resume after Ramadan? That's an excellent question, and I think that it would depend on any gains and if there's a hostage release. Like if I was Hamas, I would be working behind the scenes now, and some of my sources are saying this is happening with the Egyptians and the King of Jordan to try to facilitate a peace. But the problem is Netanyahu has already said no peace, no two-state solution, give us the hostages, and they still think that he'll come in and try to get rid of the Palestinians. So unless there's some give in Netanyahu's aggressive stance, the Palestinians really can't negotiate. Okay, let, let me talk about that. So he is saying, as well as what's going on with Ramadan, he is saying that he wants Hamas to hand over the hostages at the same time. What are the chances of that? My assessment is that Hamas would only do that if they were really under the pump or if they genuinely thought that Netanyahu wanted, Netanyahu wanted a ceasefire. Um, otherwise, I don't think they would do it because, as, as we've discussed previously, that's their leverage. Okay, so now we're getting com com uh, a little bit complex. But if the hostages are released before Ramadan, and therefore Israel stops. I understand why they would therefore stop as part of that deal. But if the hostages aren't released by Ramadan, does Israel continue on fighting during Ramadan and upset the entire Middle Eastern countries? Yes. Netanyahu will, yes. They see it as an existential fight for survival. Yes. Okay.
Now, the Palestinian foreign minister on Monday accused Israel of apartheid and urged the United Nations top court to declare that Israel's occupation of land sought for a Palestinian state is illegal and must end immediately and unconditionally for any hope for a two-state future to survive. Now, the remarks come as historic hearings into the legality of Israel's 57-year occupation. The case opened against the backdrop of the Israel-Hamas war, which immediately became a focal point of the day, even though the hearings were meant to centre on Israel's open-ended control over the occupied West Bank, the Gaza Strip and annexed East Jerusalem. Will it make any difference whatsoever as to what an international court rules about Israel and the conflict with Hamas? No, and we discussed this last week. Israel don't recognise this court. They're not signed up to it. And at the end of the day, what could the even if the court found in the Palestinians' favour, there's no way to enforce it. They can't send the UN peacekeepers in and arrest Netanyahu. We've seen that with Putin in Ukraine. So it's unless the international community uh, gets behind the court, it's just um, yeah. There's there's much to do about nothing, to be honest. We started talking about the Houthis oh, some weeks ago now, and three weeks ago we spoke about them because the UK and the United and the United States decided to bomb the crap out of them. Um, three weeks later, they have not let up. Where are we up to with the Houthis? Well, it's interesting. Overnight, the European Union have announced they're going to send a maritime task force down to the Red Sea to protect shipping too. So you've got the uh, US Operation Prosperity Guardian conducting operations, and now you're going to have the UN or EU Navy fleet down there with Argent, uh, Greece, uh, Italy, Brussels, all pledging ships to uh, patrol those waters. Um, I don't know why, and I've got some feelers out to find out why, the EU has gone outside the US. Normally, they all kind of come together. Um, but, yeah, so you're going to have two separate task force in the um, Red Sea patrolling against the Houthis. But as we said a few weeks ago, they're doing what Iran is asking them to do, and they're doing it well. Yeah. They're creating a wonderful distraction as well, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. And they're giving some, like, taking some of the international attention away from what's going on in other parts of the Middle East, which is what Iran want. Iran want to bring the Middle East into more of a conflict. Yeah. Um, I want to talk to you about a major release of a defence plan in Australia today and also what's going on in PNG. Uh, I've got to take a break, though, Shane. I'll come back with you in just a short moment. Shane Healy, our guest, unpacking the conflicts that exist around the world, but also we'll talk about PNG and Australia right after the break on TNT. Deweaponizing weather with reality and perspective. I'm sure you've been following Mark Morano and, of course, the climate trial of the century where Dr. Michael Mann was suing Mark Stein. In any case, that is going to the jury. Now, there are a couple of things that have popped up in this trial which are very interesting. First of all, out of the 22 possibilities for this so-called hockey stick, only two of them showed the hockey stick. Both of those were fudging the hockey stick. And what did I mean by fudging? Well, they claim that the medieval warm period did not exist, which if Dr. Mann was actually a meteorologist and looked at the weather, he should know that you can't just have regionalized warming in one area of the world. If it's warm in one area of the world, it's going to be warm in other areas of the world. I think I've explained this before. Now, another thing is that there's some interesting things coming out that may open Dr. Mann up 
to be sued, especially by Dr. Judith Curry. Now, I've always wondered why Dr. Curry did not go after Michael Mann because he has really said some disgusting things about her, including spreading false rumors about her sex life. So there were a whole bunch of little other things that came out. Don't know what the jury's going to do. Seems pretty obvious to a normal human being that Mark Stein did not cause Michael Mann any damage given 12 years later, Michael Mann is a prince among all these climate change people that think that the earth is burning up. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. Hi, I'm Susan Lucci. I never thought about heart disease until I had my own heart event. I had a 90% blockage in my main artery and a 75% blockage in the adjacent artery. I received two stents in my arteries, stents developed through research funded by the American Heart Association. Those stents saved my life. Learn more about the American Heart Association's life-saving work at helpheart.org. Focused on the facts. Chris Smith on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right. You are uh, more recognised as connected to the Australian Army than you are the Navy, uh, Shane Healy. But I'm very interested in what you have to say about the shortages that exist in the Australian Defence Force and today's recommendations to create all kinds of additions to force the government to spend a whole heap of more money, including on a fleet of small destroyers that they're aiming to have on the water in two years' time. Good luck with that. Yeah, um, we, we discussed a few weeks ago when we spoke about the future submarine program that Australia being an island, you need a Navy that can project and defend itself. So to me, it makes sense that the um, the government are putting a lot more money into our Navy because, you know, let's stop any trouble before it gets to Australia. Um, and this would have had some buy-in from the U.S. Um, Navy because they had a former U.S. Admiral conduct this review. So he would know uh, what the U.S. CONOP is and, and be able to shape it to fit or the Australian CONOP or concept of operations going forward for our Navy so we can plug into the U.S. and other allies within the Asia-Pacific against the Chinese threat. You know, let's we'll go out and call it for what it is. But that's what we're looking at. You just mentioned there, uh, uh, I don't know what the words were, but liaising with other countries. It's it's not as if Australia will have yep. to defend itself on its own, but it has to play a role with, say, the United States, France and the United Kingdom if there was a conflict in the Indo-Pacific. And we've got to have a number of destroyers. We've got to be able to be under the water. And we've got to have a fleet of drones as well, don't we? Yeah, exactly right. So we have uh, treaty obligations. So, for example, we've got the ANZUS uh, Treaty, so Australia, New Zealand and the United States. So if any um, threat in the Pacific, we plug into that. We're part of ASEAN, which links us with the uh, other Southeast Asian uh, countries. So, yeah, when if there is any aggressor within the Pacific, we would coalition up, usually and historically the US would lead that, and we would plug into their fleets or their groups. So... Um, but also we have Operation Sovereign Borders where our, because uh, there's some of these vessels in this new package is for the uh, border force to patrol Northern Australia, which 
you know, hasn't been done so well in the last few weeks. We need to then yeah. re-establish that. Um, and obviously the future submarines. The question will be what, if they're putting extra money into the Navy, what gets lost out of the Air Force and the Army? Um, that hasn't been fully uh, explained yet. But to be honest, I'm a fan of force projection and I'm a fan of building our Navy up. The other thing is recruitment. Where are we going to recruit the extra sailors um, yeah. that is required for these boats? We've already got some recruitment issues currently. You know, you, you can build a new boat, but unless you've got sailors to serve on it, it's not just going to sit in port. Well, the United States is facing the same thing, 41,000 short of their recruitment target last year. How do we get young people to, you know, don the uniform, put their hands up and fight for the country? How do we change that from your point of view, having served in the Army? Um, I think you've got to do a better job at selling it to a younger audience. Like I did Army Cadets, so I, I wanted to be a soldier since I was a little boy. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the guys and girls that I went through recruit school had callings at different parts of life, but it was all about um, a, a, a wanting to serve and a, and a nationalistic feeling inside. So if they get into high schools and, and start putting these programs and, and a mentor program or you know, I had very good military role models in my family. Um, I think that's the first step, getting kids more um, acti active. Uh, and to be honest, get rid of the current CDF and, and the current Minister for Defence, get the morale and the leadership working better, and then that will spread down. Retention's a big thing. Um, retaining our uh, experienced operational sailors, salmon, soldiers, and then sending them out to the high schools and starting to put that into the minds of 14, 15, 16-year-olds that they just get a passion then that they want to serve serve their country in the Navy or the Army. That's very interesting that you say morale. Um, how do you change morale? You change the leadership, don't you? 100%, and that's the first thing I do. You know, um, anyone who knows me or follows me on social media knows my views on this current CDF. Um, but... All morale and culture, it starts from the top. You need good leaders. You need a good, um, you know, I served under a number of prime ministers and, you know, uh, Prime Minister Abbott was probably one of the best prime ministers that I, I served with and he sent me to Iraq and, you know, he was very uh, decisive and set a very good frame of mind for us to go and do that. By Christmas in 2010 with prior, or the prime minister, um uh, uh, Rudd in uh, Afghanistan. So, um, but yeah, leadership starts at the top and they need a whole new change there, Chris. Yeah, that's that's a really good comprehensive rundown of how you have to go about recruitment and there's a big job ahead. All right, finally, PNG tribal violence. You've been keeping me updated on this through the week um, with various messages. Um, PNG tribal violence is not a, a new thing but I get the feeling that there's a lot of unrest up there at the moment. Yeah, there's um, a number of reports coming out that the illegal smuggling of firearms into the tribes is actually being facilitated by uh, a number of uh, politicians and members of the security forces. And it's because these tribes are better armed that the violence is worse. Uh, you know, this is a, a continuation of a cycle of violence that probably started last year. 
Um, and why it's important for Australians is because China's really trying to get a footprint, including a, a Chinese Navy base in PNG. So they are between Australia and Hawaii, which goes back to that Navy question we had earlier. Why is a Navy important? Well, if China do, does get that strategic foothold in Papua New Guinea, we're going to need a strong Navy to keep the lines of communication and supply open between the US and Hawaii. So absolutely, um, it's in Australian strategic interest to fix and help PNG. Yeah, exactly. We we can't take our eyes off that ball because China will be there um, like a flash, as we know. Shane, a lot of material to get through today. and I get the feeling that over the next three weeks, there are going to be pivotal moves and developments in the Middle East. So we will keep in touch with you. Thank you so much for your time. All the best. Anytime, Chris. Have a great week. Good on you. Thank you very much for that. Shane Healy is his name, former Australian Defence Force Intelligence Officer who's uh, got his connections, of course, in the Middle East, having served there on two occasions with the Army and on private contractor work, and uh, a fellow who understands the Middle East intimately and understands from information that he's getting exactly where this conflict between Hamas and Israel is going. It's great to have him on board. Now, for those who don't know, TNT is an independent global news talk station, and uh, we do things here at TNT like no one else can do in media around the world. TNT is a live radio and television broadcaster that simply tells the truth and endeavours to get to the truth on each and every occasion as we cover the issues that are most important to the people of the world. We do it 24 hours a day. We do it seven days a week. Um, it's not like a podcast station where they might have a couple of live programs, but mostly it's podcasted. Um, we take the commitment to broadcast live, which means we can also tell you what's happening right now. No one in the world does what we do, crisscrossing the globe, providing credible news and opinion all day and all night. And in two and a half years, TNT has become a credible and exciting platform with brilliant hosts and, of course, staff. But it's a critical time. Uh, this year in particular, as I've said many times, late last year and earlier this year, 2024 is a critical time for the world in terms of news and current affairs. And we must continue to do what we do here at TNT. We must try and pick out the misinformation and give you the information that matters. We've got to get rid of the propaganda and we've got to try and get to the truth. Uh, try and decipher what mainstream media is up to. And uh, we do that thanks to a fleet well, not a fleet, but a group of powerful sponsors. And we'd like to thank our sponsors on TNT. But we are now appealing at this current juncture in February of 2024 to our many friends, to our many supporters, that is viewers and listeners right around the world to try and assist TNT Radio.live and make a small donation to what we do. You can go to TNT Radio.live and uh, you'll very quickly pick up exactly how you press on the donation button, and the rest is very simple. And you can have a say in how long we stay on air and how powerful we become. Um, we want to make sure that we get the right investors. We don't just willy-nilly take money from anyone, um, but it's important that we continue the donations to come through and support us here at TNT. So it's an important mission, and I mentioned it once before. I wanted to mention it again today with so much news and current affairs around and the world changing very, very quickly. 
uh, it's important that you understand that we depend very much so on our donors. It's not a news organisation that puts its hand out to government. That is the last place we would do that. So if you could uh, find in your heart to have a look at how to donate, and you can do that on the website or the app, that would be greatly appreciated. I will put you in the capable hands of Dean Macken now. Thank you so much for your company. We'll come back and do it at the same time tomorrow. Come and join me right here on TNT.